You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your home, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I wanted to share a conversation that I had with the lovely Karen Young. If you do not know her website, Hey Sigmund, I encourage you to go check it out. It is a wealth of information. And I love that she says it is where the science of psychology meets the art of being human. And so our conversation really was around big emotions, big emotions, how we deal with them, how we help our children deal with them. And I really hope that you get as much information and kind of ahas that I got through this conversation because she is, has a very wonderful way of explaining how our brain works and how we can explain it also to children. Uh, also has some wonderful children's book about uh, big emotions, which are wonderful. And all of that will be in the show notes for you. So enjoy my conversation with Karen Young. Okay, welcome to The Art of Parenting, uh, Karen Young. I am so thrilled to have you here to do an episode, actually not one episode, but we decided we were going to do three episodes today. So we are going to um, do more of an intro for this first episode so people know more a little bit about you and kind of I can ask all of my general questions. And then we will move into our uh, topic specific episodes. How does that sound? That sounds great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and um, I'm really excited about the chats that we're, we're going to be doing. So Yes, yes. Well, Karen is somebody dear to my heart. We met online because I have yet to go to Australia, but it is on my bucket list. But uh, you've been, what, twice on Be the Best Parent You Can Be? I have. And yeah. actually... You were my very, very first one. So about five or six years ago, you were the very, very first um, interview um, and the, the very first really, yeah, interview I did all those years ago. So you're very dear to my heart too. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I, did, I did not know that. That's a, that's a revelation. I did not know that. You seem like such a pro. I thought you were used to these. So wonderful. Well, it's good to have you here. I'm excited about this new podcast, The Art of Parenting, where I want to share really some knowledge 
for parents just uh, to give them some support and some encouragement. And I know you do a lot of that on your uh, website, Hey Sigmund, and in your writings and books. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be great. It's great being here. Okay, so let's get started. And I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests is, how do you define the art of parenting? That's a really great question. I think um, uh, there are are a few things that I um, would speak to in that. The first thing is, I think we have to stop thinking that we have to be perfect parents. And being good enough is everything because we that's what we want for our kids we don't want our kids to feel like they have to be perfect it's also about learning along the way so it's about being open to the mistakes we make and the mess ups we make and the things um, that we can do better so coming into parenting and I think that the heart of the art of parenting is coming in open and curious and really ready to um willing to make mistakes, willing to fall, willing to rise and not taking any of it personally because none of it is. And we're all so many of the things, all of parenting really, everything we do with parenting, we're doing it for the first time. Um, At some point, we're doing it for the first time. Yes. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of information, but we do have to adapt it to what feels right for our family and our children because no two children are the same. No two families are the same. No two parents are the same. So it's really about being open um, to the wisdom that came before us and really ready to, um, to see how that works for our own young ones and in our own lives and being ready to adapt and and being okay to fail sometimes because we will we'll fail miserably we'll fail bigger with our kids than we will anywhere else because it's so important and we want to get it right um and that's okay yeah that is so that is so important i love that you say that because i think parents you know, I mean, I know for myself, we, we're kind of hard on ourselves. Like we, we do want to, you know, we're afraid of messing up. This is, these are, these are our children for heaven's sakes. Right. So, so yes, that's very important to, to, to be okay with failing and, and doing a redo and, and learning from our mistakes. So important. Thank you for that. So before we get too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners how you came to do the work you're doing and and what is the work that you're doing today? Mm. So I started as a psychologist many, many years ago. That's what I did. Um, That's what I trained as initially. So I did a lot of work with, um, with kids and teens and families, but I also did a lot of work with adults. So I saw the effects of, um, of parenting. So I got it from, I saw it from both ends um, as well as obviously in my own life. And then I, I took a bit of a break for a little while and I wanted to come back in. I didn't know how. Um, I, I didn't even really know what I wanted to do. So I started Hey Sigmund and I just thought, okay, we'll see where the path takes us. Um, and that kind of led me into my work with anxiety. So that started personally as well with my own children. And, um, and it seemed to be every time I wrote or did something about anxiety, it really um, it really worked hard. So I kind of, I could see that that was where, um, where the need was. And 
it was it felt like something really important to me mm-hmm. because anxiety is growing it's a thing that can really intrude for kids for parents for all of us um and so that's kind of where my work has gone into um anxiety with kids and teens and supporting kids and teens with anxiety and from that um i've really um a lot of my work now looks at um, the brain and how the brain informs behavior and i think once we know that that's really only something that we've had access to in the last um 10 or 15 years we psychology was the one I suppose part of the, the the one area of the health professions where we couldn't see what we were working with, we couldn't see the brain. But now there's technology; we can see the brain, so we can see um, what happens when we do what we do. So all of a sudden, these things that we were told to do as parents or we were told to do as humans, they start to make sense or not, depending on what we see. So we're actually coming from a more informed place than ever in relation to parenting because there's really amazing research um, and science can can guide us now. And again, we have to take that and, and adapt it to, to what works. But I think we're more informed as parents than ever. Um, and so that's where I am now. So my work with anxiety um, and it's, and really anxiety is a big feeling. So we look at all big feelings. That's when a lot of my work is um, looking at how the brain um looking at how we can nurture our children and build them but be really informed about it that's that that is wonderful and i know i mean i love that you say you know how now we are so much more informed because it's true when you know you know how i base a lot of my kind of mentoring on montessori philosophy and Mm. uh dr montessori had revealed so much about the brain you know 150 years ago but she had no way of knowing that it was really from you know from observation from intuition from her her scientific background but today you know when you when you talk about the the brain research it's true a lot of that is being proven you know just even that theory of the absorbent mind that sponge of a brain that our young children have we now know that is a reality right and yeah, and, and that yeah. is that is so so helpful to parents now to have really research to back up some of the um you know some of the ancient wisdom so that that is wonderful and amazing um just a, a personal question before we get into what you are calling these big emotions um if you wouldn't mind like how were you raised what kind of parenting do you remember from your parents i was never punished never smacked we never did time out we never did anything like that um i don't ever remember but i do remember feeling um i think the thing that measured my behavior this is what the thing that i i remember growing up was disappointing my parents and losing that connection so even back then um that was what was driving them we uh, i think there was they were less involved but i think a lot of parenting back then it was it was less involved um i had a lot of warmth from my grandparents around me as well so i can remember having a, a lot of adults who i felt loved by and held by um and but as far as parenting it was I was redirected when I got things wrong, but I don't, 
um, there, we, we, the way I was brought up was kind of the way we, we suggest doing it now, but probably if I, if I had to say what I would like to be different, it would, I would like a little bit more involvement from my parents. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. A bit more, they were, they were more hands off. They were busier. It was different times then. Um, I didn't have the connection with them where I could go to them for, to, for guidance. Um, and during adolescence, I think I, I, I missed that. I didn't have that. Sure. Sure. Um, I think again, that was very common then. Um, and that's, but I do let that inform my own parenting and go, okay, that's what I don't want. Um, right. There are some things I take from there that worked. That's what I don't want. That connection and that influence is really important. Um, how do I how do I do that? Because I don't want my kids to be so worried about disappointing me that they don't come to me. And I say to them, you can disappoint me. That's not, you're not here to make me happy and you're not here to do things that that get my approval. But what I want you to do is do what you need to do so that, you feel like you have made decisions in strength um, and then aren't going to disappoint yourself. So that's a big shift for me. That has been, that has come from the way I parented. And I think with our parents, we look at, it can go two ways. We look at, okay, I want to borrow some of that because that felt like it worked. And then there are other things where, um, and possibly not straight away, but eventually we go, okay, that, doesn't feel right for me and I want to do it differently to that because really when it comes to parenting that's all we've got is how we were parented so it is important to look at that with an open heart and an open mind and it doesn't mean necessarily that our parents were wrong and it's not a rejection it's a okay we know more now and this is how I want to do it differently yeah and so true I love that you say that Karen because I often tell parents that the only kind of parenting manual that we have is our own childhood is our own kind of experience and like you say we 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 kind of evaluated and and you know repeat what we liked sometimes we repeat things that we don't necessarily want to repeat but like you you know like you explained the, the way the brain works is is we you know we say oh my gosh I'm sounding like my mother or my father or such but that's I think that's part of the the learning um and and I love that you say, you know, how important it is to just remember that I think as parents, we're always trying to do our best yeah. with the tools that we have. So our parents, they did the very best they could with what they knew and the tools that they had and their own upbringing. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, beautiful, beautiful. So, so it's interesting because as much as you had no kind of you know, quote unquote punishment, yet you're still saying that the, the, the connection was missing. So it's, it's, in, it's interesting and important to say that, you know, one doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's not because you're, you're super kind that you're necessarily mm-hmm. connected. And that's, that's, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and for for you, um, I know that we wanted to get into some of these uh, big emotions, like you mentioned. And so I would like to dedicate this first episode with you to this idea of anxiety, anxiety in our children, 
sometimes in young children. And how, first of all, like how do you as a psychologist define anxiety? And then we'll get into the kind of the tools that we can offer parents to really help our children through these moments that tend to be difficult for them. Yeah. Okay. So I think one of the really, first of all, the first thing I want to say about anxiety is everyone has anxiety. Every single person on the planet, every, every, every person experiences anxiety on some level. If we didn't, we'd be dead because it's that, that thing in us that warns us away from danger. So anxiety has got a really important job to do. It, signals danger so it gets our body ready to respond to that by fight or flight or sometimes freeze if fight or flight isn't an option we freeze um but anxiety also comes up when there's something meaningful that we want to move towards it'll it can also be an offer to be brave so one of the things we want to teach our kids is when is your anxiety your anxiety is really valid and it's got a job to do it's looking after you um, but when is it signaling to you to stay safe to get yourself safe and when is it signaling to you that it's come here because there's something meaningful that you want to do and it's an opportunity to be brave and take little steps towards brave anxiety from a psychological perspective is anything that when the when the brain perceives threat that's what triggers anxiety so it's not actually about what is actually safe it's about what the brain perceives as safe and anxiety comes from a part of the brain called the amygdala and the amygdala is constantly scanning for safety that's its job it's constantly there scanning for safety now the thing about it is the amygdala um the the threats that the amygdala jumps at for our children are mostly psychological threats so back in the beginning of humans it was it was real threats, it was predators, um, other people who could hurt us. There was something to fight, something to flee. But the thing about now is they're, they're often, they're generally psychological threats. So it's fear of separation from an important big person, something happening to them when nobody's around, um, something happening to someone they love, fear of humiliation, judgment, exclusion, they all count as threat and can trigger anxiety. So a lot of anxiety is really valid. And it's, it's there because um, there's a job to do. We have to get safe. We have to get ourselves safe. And sometimes it's gearing us up to give us what we need um, to be brave, to move towards something important and meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, I mean, I'm trying to put it in my own words. It sounds also kind of like fear, you know, when we talk about kind of pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone. That can bring... Mm-hmm anxiety is that what you're saying for sure the thing about fear what i would say was the difference is often with fear we can name what it is i'm scared of the growly dog i'm scared that um i'm scared that there might be monsters under the bed so that's real and and anxiety is fear it is driven by fear but they won't always be able to say what they're scared of because the, the brain knows, the brain will know, oh, well, I'm scared because something might happen to your mama while you're separated, but they won't always be able to articulate that, um, exactly what they're scared of. Mm-hmm. And mm. so how do you help um, children, you know, especially younger children, deal with anxiety? Because sometimes we, I feel that 
parents tend to say, oh, don't worry, that's nothing, or mm-hmm. kind of dismiss these big emotions that our children are having. Mm-hmm. And yet at times I know that we don't necessarily want to feed into it either. Like we don't want to make a bigger deal. So, so where is that balance and how do we help our children kind of go through these emotion? And, and I love the word that you use is being brave. Like how do you muster up that courage to just keep on going and, and just acknowledge that, yes, there's something, you know, maybe that is scary, Mm-hmm. but I'm brave and I can go through. Yeah. So I think with kids, the first thing is we need to be brave first as parents because their anxiety will trigger our anxiety because it's meant to. That's how they stay safe. That's one of the ways anxiety keeps us safe is by recruiting support and we're the support. Um, if anxiety is unfolding in front of us, we're the support. And we will feel anxious as a parent. There's nothing that feels okay about moving a child who is distressed closer towards the thing that distresses them, if it's school or if it's a separation um, that is unavoidable. So what we need to do first is catch that feeling and let them know that we see what they see. So for a moment, we need to feel what they feel and see what they see. I can see this is big for you, isn't it? I can see how scared you are of going off to about going off to kindy today. I get it. I understand that. I'm going to miss you too. So we acknowledge it because what that does is that sends a message to the brain that support is here. Someone sees Mm. what you see. Mm. We've got you. Mm -hmm. But then, and this is the most important part, we have to move them forward. So the mistake that we can make is stopping at that point and, 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 and letting our anxiety get bigger than them mm-hmm. because they will catch anxiety like anything, quicker than anything, but they can also catch our calm and they can also catch our brave. And that's why emotions are such an amazing thing. So first of all, we catch their anxiety, we catch it a little bit and we feel it a little bit. Not so much that we're oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. We don't want that. Right. But we catch it enough so they can see that we've caught it. I can see this feels big for you. I know this is scary. And then we move them forward. And I know you can do this. What's one thing you can do that would be a brave little step towards whatever it is that they're moving towards? So it's being brave so much and believing in them so much that they kind of catch that. It doesn't mean it'll instantly switch off anxiety, but the message we're giving them is, yeah, I know, I can see what you see and I can feel what you feel and I know this feels big, I can see why it's scary and I know it's okay. So we're not saying don't worry about it, there's nothing to worry about because everything in them is telling them that there's something there, even if they can't name it. So when we dismiss it, it makes anxiety bigger because anxiety goes oh, well, we're in trouble because this important big person doesn't get it. So we have to let them know that we see it. And then with strength and confidence, we move them forward. I know you can do this. I know you'll be okay. Whatever happens, I know this will be okay so that they can catch our brave. So that's the, um, and that's a really important part of dealing with anxiety. So so it sounds though that, we have to deal with our own anxiety because for for one i see i see so much how a young child will pick up on their the the adult's anxiety you know i i remember very well 
young children being dropped off at school when I was working in a Montessori classroom. And they would be kind of, you know, crying and, and, and kind of, to me, it, it almost seemed like it was a purposeful scene for the anxious parent, because yeah. once the parent stepped away, they were fine. They were just fine. They would just go on and do their work and, and be happy-go-lucky. So it's interesting how there's kind of this you know the, the the mirror neurons of 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 emotions is just amazing how they draw on our anxiety but what you're saying here to me is really important is is the work that we need to do on ourselves as well absolutely. to be able to show up brave for them right absolutely it's critical it's everything one of the things that happens so so drop offs at at kindy or at, at daycare are a really great example because that's really valid anxiety. It's sure. separation anxiety is really valid because we we're, we're wired to feel safest when we are next to the important, bigger, stronger, more powerful people who can keep us safe. So for our kids, that's how they, that's how their brain registers safety. When that important person is gone, there's going to be a moment where there's a void and it's not going to feel safe. What happens with anxiety in that, anxiety about separation is it's actually about the point of separation so what what they're more anxious about is the thoughts and feelings that come with separation that actual point of separation so when we delay separation we're actually extending their anxiety it feels like we're but we're actually not because what happens when the brain can't keep up that energy in the, in that big feeling for two, it just can't. It can keep up the anticipation of it, but it can't keep up that intensity of big feeling for too long. It might keep it up for, you know, they might have a broken heart for, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes. But what happens after the parent goes, the brain eventually registers futility. There is no point fighting or flighting because nothing is fighting or fleeing because nothing is changing. And then it gets to rest. Then it rests. It registers safety and it registers calm. So what we're doing by extending that goodbye is extending their anxiety because the brain is going, no, don't, 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 don't go, don't go because that's when I feel unsafe. Don't, don't, don't. It's almost the anticipation. When it happens, what we're saying to the, what the brain can go, oh, okay, well, that really horrible thing happened and I'm still here and I'm okay and there's no point in continuing to try to recruit support because she's not coming back for a little while um, and that's okay and I'm okay. I can do this. I'm okay because there are other big people here who can take care of me. Um, And so we're doing them a favour by making it a short, sharp, big love, big kiss, big squeeze, goodbye, I know you'll be okay, I can't wait to see you. And done. Right. And and I, I and it's so important what you say because I do remember like parents kind of extending those goodbyes and mm-hmm. it was just painful for me to see because I knew that the longer, you know, the longer it went, the harder it would be for the child afterwards. So I really, mm-hmm. you know, always encourage like, you know, maybe, you know, have a good story and conversation in the car on your way or on your walk to school. But once you get to the point of saying goodbye, it's it's a loving goodbye, and I know you'll be safe, and I will be back. So yeah, Very and important. it is, and, it's, and I want to say I've done it. I've made them. I've done. I've extended those goodbyes. Of course, because, we all. You know, have. I've, yeah, I've I've done all this. I've made all the mistakes myself because you just keep doing it in the hope that 
tomorrow it might get better. But the thing about anxiety is it actually learns from experience. It doesn't get, it, it learns from experience. So if the experience is getting, it's getting, is that the only way to stay safe is with these extended goodbyes. It's going to grab onto those extended goodbyes and it's going to make that goodbye harder. Whereas if it gets the experience, which is, oh, I know I, I can feel safe again when mum goes or when dad goes or grandma goes, I know I can feel safe again. Um, then that's the experience it will learn from and that's when anxiety will ease. And it always helps if there's, an, you know, other loving arms for that little person to go to, to be handed to, that void will be less. Um, so I think that the people, you know, they go to are, are, are really important too. Um, we say it takes a village, but it actually takes a village because there are other adults who can fill that void when... when exactly, yeah. Isn't yeah when you you talk about the 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 drop-off anxiety um is this the same also as sometimes nighttime like the the whole going to to bed and maybe having that anxiety of you know being alone depending on what the sleep situation is but i know a lot of parents have kind of this difficulty around bedtime and would, would that be kind of in the same vein? Absolutely, because sep- sleep really is one of the biggest separations um, our children have from us. So even though they might just be in the next room and they might just be down the hallway, when they close their eyes, they're separate. They're, they're not, you're not there. And when kids talk about, um, so we have to be careful of how we deal too with when they talk about monsters or witches or robbers, they might not have the words for what they're feeling so what they do is put that anxiety about separation into other things that make sense because it doesn't make sense for them to say um you know even in their own minds it probably doesn't make sense to say that i'm worried about being away from you because then but i'm in the same house but it doesn't matter it's what the brain perceives as safety not what is actually safe so the brain is perceiving yes but you're down the hallway so anything can happen to you while you're sleeping or to me while we're sleeping um it's what the brain perceives as as safe so what children will do is they'll put that fear it's really amazing how they do it. They'll put that fear into something that does make sense, like monsters under the bed, like witches, like aliens or bats or whatever it is. That makes sense. That make, that fear makes sense. Um, so we need to be careful to not to dismiss things too quickly because the fear behind these things or the anxiety behind these things is actually very real for them. And, and often it is around that separation, that, um, that void, that happens when they can't, when when they feel um, that they're not close physically anymore to that important big person. And how would you, what would you suggest to parents maybe dealing with that of, you know, what they can say or do to reassure this young child who might have that separation anxiety at nighttime? So there's a few things. The biggest thing we want to do is make bedtime calm again because what happens if bedtime has been a struggle, the brain um, will associate bed with with not being calm. So we want to redo that. There's a few things. If they're coming into um, mum mum or dad's bed or going into their big sister's room or sleeping on a mattress on a floor, what we do with that and that's probably the the biggest way um this can play out so they'll sleep they'll get a good night but 
it's not really because they're, you know, they're not in their own bed. So one of the things we can try with that is, um, is saying, okay, well, look, you have, and it says shuffle towards brave. You have five minutes in your bed and then you can come into, into our room. And so then they can spend the whole night there. And then when that five minutes feels okay, we go, okay, we're going to try 10 minutes and you slowly build up 15 minutes, 20 minutes. What that does is that lets go of that bedtime anxiety because they're in control of it. They know they don't have to go for five minutes and then they can come and be with you and they're safe again. It's a bit different to them relying on you coming and checking. Right, and, right, because they're yeah, in control, we, right. Yes, they're in control. So we give them the control. And then what happens, you'll probably find by the time it gets to 20 minutes, and this might take a long time, it can take weeks or months, and that's okay. Um, the By the time they're getting to 20 minutes, they're so calm, bedtime has become so calm because they might read a book or they might do mindfulness or they might um, just, you know, lay there and snuggle with their toys, whatever they do. To, to get themselves bedtime ready. Um, and this is after a story. So you have a story, do what you need to do, and then five minutes by yourself in your bed resting, and then you can come in and you work up. You'll probably find by the time they're getting to 20, 25 minutes, they're falling asleep anyway because they're so relaxed because it's come mm. to, after weeks and weeks of doing this or a couple of months of doing this, they've come to associate bedtime with a time where they can feel calm and in control rather than a place which is anxious or they're just waiting um you know waiting for um that feeling of that lack of safety and then what you'll find is they'll sleep through the night and they wake up in the morning and you go you did it look at you that was so you you did so well staying in your bed all night and they might go yeah but I'm not going to do it again because I don't want to I want to come back with you and you go okay so we'll go back to we go we go with whatever was last night so if last night was 20 minutes we go to 20 minutes but you don't go less than that so we never go backwards um and then, and then they get used to that and you work up to 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and eventually they will start to associate bed with, with feeling safe. So that's one way to do it. That's when they're coming into your bed. Another way is to um, put them in control and say, okay, I know that you can, that bedtime is a struggle. I really get it. So how can we make this feel safe again? And it might be, I think a really lovely bedtime routine is teaching them strong deep breathing so that's that actually calms the nervous system so having them do a few strong deep breaths um do some mindfulness that 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 is it actually works long term but it can also work in the moment it switches the brain from what if which is anxiety to what is brains mm, mm-hmm. um and then gratitude what gratitude does is anxiety relies on memories and experiences to keep it well fed but those experiences don't actually need to be their memories or experiences it can be something they've heard in the news or something that happened to a friend or something they um overheard something they saw in a movie and that can be enough what gratitude does is it starts to squeeze out those negative memories and experiences and puts positive um, memories and experiences at the forefront of that so that then more like the brain will draw more on that so we have that routine and then you might have a couple of stories and then you say okay so then I want you to um, how are we going to do this what do you think you can do that would feel brave I understand spending the whole night in your bed um, feels scary 
what can you do that would feel brave? And I'm going to come and check on you. I'll, I'll keep coming and checking on you. So you don't have to do this by your, on your own. And it might be every five minutes. It might be 10 minutes. It might be five minutes, then six minutes, then seven minutes. And you work out a plan um, to get them feeling safe. And you, you stay on a level for as long as it takes for them to feel safe again, because the brain only learns from experience. And I want to say they're not going to be 15 and not, worried and, and not wanting to sleep on their own so right we right. get really and, and i think i understand and i've ha- and i've dealt you know i've dealt with this myself with my own children when they're three or four and nobody's getting sleep you do worry you go why can't you just sleep in your own bed we're all exhausted we just need to sleep and i love you but sleep 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 what we need to remember is this really is a, a temporary um a temporary thing they're not going, they're not even, they, they, they will get to a point where they don't want you um, with them at nighttime and we will cherish every moment right. when we get on their bed and say, <laughs> mum, can I talk to you about something? We'll go, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. And we will sit up until 11 or 12 o'clock at night when we want to and we will cherish so it. True. We will cherish so that. true, so true, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the meantime, I do want to validate, it is hard. It is one of the hardest things. So it's really just taking those slow steps towards those um, gentle, slow steps towards brave. There is no magic thing that will um, fix it. It's really just giving, um, giving your child the experiences that will help them slowly feel safer and safer and safer. And it might be safe for five minutes then safe for six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes. And we just work up like that. Yeah. And to me, it's also about from the very beginning, kind of having very, simple, calm routines, you know, from the very beginning. And because I feel oftentimes that, again, it's kind of that anxiety that we as the parent have of, oh my gosh, are they going to go sleep through the night? And even kind of the questions that we are asked as new parents, like, is your child sleeping through the night? It's like, why do you, why does that matter? It's like, there, there seems to be such a a, a stress around that, 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 that I think it gives parents anxiety from the beginning so it's really about you staying calm and you you know just like modeling how you relish sleep and how wonderful sleep is and and so forth because you know it is so important and so necessary for for everybody so yeah and they do catch our anxiety. I remember when my daughter, she's 17 now, so she's, um, she doesn't need any help going to sleep. But again, I cherish whenever she says, mum, can you sit down on my bed and talk to me? Um, but she would, when she was little, you know, one, two, three, and well, probably not three, one or two, and we'd have all day together. And then by bedtime, I'd be, like my anxiety about, sleep would escalate because it's not just bedtime it's there would be other kids to help homework with there'd be dinners there'd be the washing there'd be all these things that happen at bedtime and I know that there were those nights where I'd be holding her and trying to cuddle her to just get her to settle and it just wouldn't happen and then my husband would walk in from work and hold her and in five minutes she'd be fast asleep and that's because she would feel my anxiety about we can you just go to sleep what if you don't go to sleep go to sleep go to sleep go to sleep and then someone 
but they also catch the calm. They also catch calm. And I want to also validate it's really hard to just switch off anxiety when you've had that day where you're at the end of yourself and, you know, you do just want them to settle into sleep for their sake as well as your sake or as well as for the sake of other siblings who are waiting for their turn. Right. it can be it can be tricky, but um, but they do catch calm. So, if you can have that ten minutes uninterrupted or fifteen minutes absolutely uninterrupted, where they get to, um, you know, control the story, control how many stories you can fit into ten or twenty minutes or something, and really, um, love them up big then, so they know that you have that at the end of the day, there will come a point where they have your full and total devoted attention. That can also make bedtime um, really lovely. Because even if we're with them all day, you'd be surprised how much of that is not giving them really our attention and that extended period. um, And 10 or 15 minutes every day can make a big difference. I know it's not always easy and it's not always doable, um, but, but but it, it's a really lovely um routine to get into it almost sounds it almost sounds you know like when you say routine it's kind of when you're wanting to get into a meditation practice or such it just Mm. it just takes practice it just takes you setting aside those 10 minutes or 15 minutes and then kind of increasing on it but it just it's it's a habit that needs to be uh, formed. Yeah, beautiful. Well, this has been wonderful. And I know we could go on, but uh, <laughs> just for, for the for time's sake for, for our listeners, um, I would just like to wrap up maybe with um, if there is just one thing that you would like our listeners to remember or take away from this conversation or specifically from the topic of anxiety. Probably um, with anxiety, what I would say is it can be really hard to know when to step in and keep them safe and when to encourage them forward. And what I would say is let this one question help inform your response. And whenever they are feeling anxious and they want to step back and they're at that point where they can move forward into brave or back into safety, Ask yourself this question, ask, will my response expand their world or shrink it? Will my response build their brave or shrink it and go from there? Because nothing will feel right about moving them forward towards the thing that makes them anxious. But sometimes that's exactly the thing that we need to do to um, strengthen them and to help them have the experiences that will calm their anxiety anxiety will only learn from experience and until they have that experience of doing that thing that feels hard or feels bigger than them and and finding calm in that which they always will the calm will come eventually that it will continue to drive their anxiety and we don't want that for them we don't want that for them Beautiful. Well, thank you, Karen. This has been lovely. And I would love for you to share just a little bit about how uh, our listeners can learn more about the work you do and where to find you. Mm. So my website, Hey Sigmund, there is a whole section there on anxiety in kids and teens. It's, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, 
So if you go to Hey Sigmund and go to the menu bar with kids, there's a whole section of articles there. Um, and I wrote two books to help kids um, with anxiety as well. Hey Warrior and Hey Awesome. And that's to help start the conversation that will help build their brave. Beautiful. Thank you Have so you been much, searching Karen, for the owner's I manual to your child to or did you, you just misplace it? Thank you. Thank Are you for tired me. of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone. And you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, Declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony. And find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you.
Till next time. <laughs>